Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. Today, I'm pleased to bring you the audio of our most recent Senior Chapel Talks by Christina Samuel, August Schmidt, Andres Threlkill, and Mia Jamieson, TMI Class of 2019. Remember, we'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast. Email us at panthercast at tmi-sa.org or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now, enjoy this Senior Chapel Talk by Christina Samuel. It's probably around 2008. I'm outside in my front lawn with the sun beating down in the classic Texas summer kind of way. I squint through the sweaty pieces of hair stuck to my forehead. Just to clarify, yes, I did have a bowl cut till about the age of seven and I looked awesome. I took a big bite of the cut up fruit my mom has brought out for me and raced down the grassy hills with my sisters, even as the grass clippings fill my nose and cloud my vision. The breeze of the AC would come as a cool relief when I walk inside through my back door. My eyes would scan my wooden bookcase for a good book to read on the couch, or my journal to document a particular sight, smell, or taste that I didn't want to forget that day. This is a snippet of a typical day being seven-year-old me, and I'm sure you guys have similar ones of childhood bliss. When I was a child, I never failed to see the beauty in everything. My own life was a source of my inspiration. The books I read, the food I ate, and the people I interacted with were all generators of my curiosity. Thinking back on it now, my mind was always humming with ideas and thoughts about virtually anything. I was a perpetrator of my thoughts, actions, but most importantly, my happiness. The beauty in children is in their disregard for anything not involving them. I guess you could say this makes them inherently really selfish. However, this is what made my childhood blossom. I was an avid chess club participant, library enthusiast, and an expert in my multiplication tables. I didn't worry about what other people did. I simply pursued whatever grabbed my attention. Unfortunately, a part of growing into adolescence is eventually realizing that you do care about other people's opinions. While growing outside this box of childhood, you start to realize the world you are in isn't just your own. You share with others. Recognizing differences between other people's lives can be a beautiful thing, but in my ambitious mind, I begin to only see competition. Don't get me wrong, I love being competitive, but this confident asset of mine spiraled into consuming doubt. I started to see all the possible wrong in every decision I made and wondered if I was missing something. Am I spending my life wisely, taking the right classes, playing sports, and being well-rounded enough compared to others? I was battling between not knowing what others expected of me and what I expected for myself. So, I eventually came to the consensus that maybe I just don't know how to live my life the way it should be. This past year, this escalated into an acute anxiety disorder. This isn't just excessive worry about little things. 
It's been an overwhelming force on my body that I've found very hard to control. It's made me act and feel in ways that I know aren't like myself. My mind has tendencies that allow comparisons to other people and any shadow of uncertainty in my life to completely devastate me. Sometimes I would spend weekends huddled under the sheets in my bed, paralyzed by just how much pain I felt. This only added to my already stricken fear because for the first time in my life, I felt as if I had zero control over anything about myself. I quickly descended from trying to hyper-control how I live my life to having very little at all. My body began to catch up with my mind. I woke up with chest pains each morning just as a side effect of my body crippling under my stress. I would rush to the bathrooms to avoid panic attacks in class. I was at a point at which I didn't know how my mind was going to tackle each day. I couldn't find comfort in just living my life in confidence of who I was. I felt as if my own future was out of my hands and being controlled by external forces that I surrendered to day after day. This is not an easy thing to talk about. I don't consider breaking down my biggest weakness in front of a huge crowd as particularly fun. But being in a vulnerable place has sometimes allowed me to find inspiration in things outside myself. For example, the subconscious comparisons that I've always made in my head to other people were deemed completely irrelevant when being a counselor at a place called Camp Camp. Volunteering at a summer camp for kids with intellectual and medical disabilities, I was immersed in an environment that I don't think can be recreated anywhere else. At camp, there is a saying in which we leave all disabilities at the gate. There is no other place where this statement holds so true. Anything is doable and dreamable for anybody. This sounds like an unrealistic statement, but actually experiencing this reality is overwhelming in the best way. You get to see people without the stereotypes that society puts on them. Campers achieve successes at camp every day, doing things they're not given opportunity to outside those gates. One girl with the most beautiful voice performed on stage in front of a crowd during karaoke night. Kids with tracheal tubes go swimming for the first time ever in their lives. My world was opened up. How could I lose control over my self-worth when the value I saw in these campers were completely disassociated from this criteria? The inspiration I felt wasn't derived from anything other than the joy of human interaction. After completing my second summer this year, I've come to truly see that no matter what stereotype, prejudice, or diagnosis we each have, we all have the ability to inspire each other. It's odd to think I've seemed to have my greatest strengths before I hit puberty, but my outlook on the world is something I've always had with me. However, I now find myself more often being inspired, not threatened by others' intelligence and passions. By recognizing passionate people who pursue dreams with the odds against them, I've seen myself come to terms with a new reality. Success is having enough confidence, courage, and willpower to go after your passions without being tempted to measure yourself with things that don't align with this. Growing up is not necessarily about finding yourself or maturing into the person you want to be. Sometimes, it's about realizing who you were from the very beginning. Thank you.
Our second featured chapel talk is by August Schmidt. Today, I'm going to share with you a recipe for the one dish I know how to make. It is my famous, yet known by virtually no one, pad thai. Take two tablespoons of sun butter, the juice of one lime, one third cup of gluten-free soy sauce, two tablespoons of maple syrup, two teaspoons of chili flakes, and combine over low heat. In a separate pot, boil water. Once the water has boiled, remove from heat and add in rice noodles. Cook for four minutes, strain, and then combine with sauce. While this is an amazing and allergen-friendly recipe that I encourage you all to make, the takeaway from the recipe goes way beyond an amazing dinner option. The ingredients of this dish are extremely versatile. Sun butter and maple syrup are sweet flavors, while lime and chili flakes are bitter and spicy. The ingredients of this dish may not seem compatible and may have sounded pretty disgusting listed out individually, but combined, they create something amazing. This is how I like to look at my life. There are moments in time that are so incredibly sweet, like maple syrup, moments where I am filled with extreme joy. One of these moments is the day when my family got our second dog, Fleetwood. My dad found him on the side of the highway and took him home. I walked into my house after a particularly hard day and found Fleetwood sitting in our living room. From that moment on, every time I look at him, I am filled with pure joy. I find that same joy in little moments every day, in the smiles on my friends' faces, in the songs I sing along to on my very short drive to school, in the jokes that I tell, the ones that only I find funny. I find joy in my passions, in writing and rewriting a piece until I'm proud of it, in singing, in cheering on the sidelines of football games, in performing on a stage. There is so much joy and light in the world to be found, so many maple syrup moments to encounter. Some moments are plain, habitual, similar to how rice noodles have little taste. Despite this fact, these moments shape a large portion of my life. Sitting in class, going through day-to-day -day life, following a routine, not every moment in life is going to be largely impactful. In these mundane moments, life happens. These moments that appear to be plain can accumulate together to form bigger moments. Each rehearsal for a play, every attempt to hit a stunt, while not special in its own endeavor, comes together to make a bigger moment. Not every moment is essential, but that does not mean that every moment does not have the potential to be essential. There are also moments in my life that are very bitter, moments that I sometimes rather forget. But I don't forget them, because they are a part of my life. Every tear I have ever shed 
was a droplet of bitterness in my life, yet they have shaped who I am. The mass shooting in my hometown of Parkland, Florida, last Valentine's Day, is the most distinct reminder that I have of the bitterness in this world. Not a day goes by where I do not think about the 17 victims, the survivors, my best friend, and my entire community changed forever. These moments are, at times, too bitter to bear. I often have to pull myself out of these moments and reflect on all of the positive impacts my community has made since the shooting. I have never seen a community bond together to give support and raise awareness about gun violence like my community in Parkland has. No one's life is perfect. There are always going to be ups and downs, the sweet and the bitter moments in everyone's lives. There will be days where you feel on top of the world and days where you feel the smallest you've ever felt. This balance between the good, the bad, the mundane, keep life interesting. Any regular rice noodle kind of day could turn into a maple syrup kind of day in an instant. Or it could turn into a lime juice day. My life consists of wildly different flavors. And together, these flavors create a life worth living. No one knows the exact moment or collection of moments that they will look back on as their defining moment. For me, I just try to live my life to the fullest, embracing the joy, following routine, and letting myself feel deep sorrow. The experiences that have shaped my life have made me into the person standing in front of you. They have made me into a person that can recognize my emotions and understand how they affect me. So let yourself be unabashedly joyful and let yourself be immensely sorrowful because life will bring these moments to you, whether you like it or not. So embrace the sweet and the bitter, the maple syrup and the lime juice. Embrace the strange combination of flavors in your life. Thank you. Our third featured chapel talk is by Andres Threlkill. I roll out of bed and slowly get dressed. It is five in the morning and I can barely think. After getting dressed, I wake up my father so he can drive me to practice. On the way there, I take advantage of the opportunity and get a few more minutes of precious sleep. As I get to practice, everyone is lying on the ground, tired and motionless. When practice starts though, everyone somehow manages to muster up a jolt of energy and run. Footsteps are the only sounds heard other than the occasional comment about how tired someone felt. Barely awake but pushing ourselves, we run as the lights from the stadium illuminate the track in front of us. I shower, grab breakfast, and head to class. This routine has become an automatic one to me but it hasn't always been like this. 
Cross country is my favorite sport, but I never would have found it if a friend hadn't encouraged me to try it. In elementary school, the only time I really ran was when the PE coach made me. It just wasn't something I enjoyed. As I went into middle school, I didn't expect this to change. One day, though, I was sitting with my friends at lunch when our discussion changed to cross country. Most of my friends were already running, and one of them asked if I was doing it too, to which I simply replied no. Most of my friends acknowledged my answer and went back to the conversation, but one friend insisted I would like it. I hardly knew what cross country was or how it worked, just that it involved running. But my friend didn't relent and eventually convinced me to try it out. As I woke up from my first practice, I moaned about how early it was. But thanks to the lovely Texas heat, you either run at five in the morning or in the 100 degree afternoons. Now I know what you're thinking. Who would give up their precious sleep to go and run instead? And the answer is only a 12 year old Andres. He wasn't the smartest cookie in the box. I had promised my friend, though, that I would give it a try, so I went to practice. When I arrived, I wasn't sure what to expect, so I was anxious because I didn't want to embarrass myself. My friend called me over and introduced me to the coach. The coach reassured me not to worry, that he would be there for me if I needed any help and recommended some good running shoes to buy. After this, though, let's just say the next few weeks were rough. I was easily the slowest one on the team, cramped up every practice because I was in terrible conditioning, and complained every day that I would rather be sleeping than running. This dropped my morale and self-esteem, and the idea of quitting started to form in my head because I wasn't as good as everyone else. I felt that I was just wasting my time at something I would never be good at. My friend, though, stuck by my side the entire time and told me that everyone starts off this way and that it just takes time, that nobody is good when they first start. I took his word, and as the season progressed, things marginally improved. I stopped cramping, started to catch up to my teammates, and started to enjoy cross country. At that time, I didn't exactly know why I started to enjoy cross country. I attributed it to being a fierce competitor. As time passed, however, Various reasons for my enjoyment occurred to me. I love cross country because of the team bonding you can only get at five in the morning. Whether we're stopping our long runs to go down the slide at the park, screaming in terror because we almost ran to a skunk that we didn't see, or waiting in bushes so someone runs by just to jump out and scare them, practices were always enjoyable even if we were exhausted. I also love being able to disconnect from my problems and de-stress on a long run. But most of all, I love cross country because it made me grow as a person. It taught me to persevere and not quit even when things aren't going the way I want them to. It taught me discipline by making me get up at five in the morning for every practice. And most importantly, it taught me to think about others instead of myself. The way a cross-country meet is scored is points are awarded based on how fast your seven runners are. So it doesn't matter if you finish first because you need your entire team to finish fast to get the best point total. 
a cross-country team is only as good as its weakest link. I had to be a leader and help others improve instead of just worrying about myself because that was the only way to help the team win. I gave advice on what food to eat, different ways to run a race, and made sure I was there to answer any questions, just like my friend was there for me to answer mine. Now, I'm not saying don't focus on yourself, because that's unhealthy and dangerous. But don't only think about yourself when making decisions. Try to think about how it could affect others instead. Running has given me so much and is a part of me now. And it's all because I had a friend who encouraged me to try it. We constantly hear in the news stories of bullying, hazing, and people bringing each other down. It is much less prevalent to hear about people motivating or helping someone to achieve a dream or get through a difficult time. These people are those who help because they care and not because of what they will gain. In this world where all we hear about is people bringing each other down, you should be thankful to have people who encourage and love you. These people for me are my cross-country teammates. The cross-country team is a special group where everybody is friends, regardless of age or interests. Whether we're doing 400-meter repeats or chair racing in hotel hallways, everybody supports one another, even if they can't breathe or feel their legs. I'm lucky to have been part of such a loving team where everyone brings each other up. Because of my love for this team, it's easy for me to wake up my parents early in the morning to take me to practice. Friends are key to having success in life due to the challenge and difficulty everyone encounters. Eventually, there will be a problem that you won't be able to solve, and you'll need your friends to be there for you. Having quality friendships provides a support system for you to fall back on when these problems arise, and they will help you overcome it, no matter what it is. Fortunately, there will also be amazing moments where your friends cheer and celebrate your success, and that makes the moment that much better. Be grateful for your friends and appreciate them because they support you, challenge you to excel, and grow you into your best person. My friend didn't know that he would show me something I loved, but spent the time and effort anyway. I challenge everyone to try and be the friend who cares deeply enough that you push someone to strive for greatness because you never know the effect it can have. Thank you. And now, please enjoy our final chapel talk for today by Mia Jamison. I am terrified of future me. Who knows what she's doing right now? She could be skipping a college class because she stayed up too late the night before, or she could be messing up a job interview, or maybe she's even losing her place while reading this talk a couple minutes from now. Just thinking about future me raises questions and concerns I would prefer not to answer. Now, I'm not necessarily afraid of change or the uncertainty of the future. Rather, I'm more afraid of the idea that future me could make the wrong decisions and steer me away from the path of success I dream of for myself. In the past, I've struggled and still struggle with the idea of trusting myself. When I say self-trust, I'm not talking about making your way through life without a plan and hoping things go your way, or choosing not to study for a test because you prefer just to wing it. What I mean by self-trust is believing that you have the capabilities to make rational decisions or following your gut instinct based on what you already know. 
This, of course, is not as easy as it sounds for the simple reason that we are all human. We all have self-doubt, and we all look at ourselves in the mirror and wish we were better, physically or mentally. Sometimes we'll even want to trust our gut, but our brain makes us think the decision is life or death, so we end up freaking out and overthinking everything and let it eat away at us to the point of where we can't sleep at night. Or maybe that's just me. What we seem to forget is that most of the choices we make on a daily basis don't actually affect us in the long run. We become so focused on the negative outcomes that we ignore the simplicity of what's actually happening. I want you all to take a moment and think of something you often overthink. Something where, when you encounter it, you freeze up and contemplate all possible outcomes. The first thing that comes to my mind is soccer. Before all my games, when the scoreboard displayed five minutes until the game would start, I felt myself tense up and feel nervous about the next hour and a half. I saw images of my past failures running through my head, and I would worry that history would repeat itself. Some of you on the team might remember one particular game from last season that we played here at TMI. I don't remember who it was against or how we played. All I remember is we were tied with five minutes left in the second half. If we won this game, our team would move on to district playoffs. If we lost, it would be the last game of the season. I remember the whole scene like it was yesterday. An enemy player was running down the field toward me as I stood in goal. She was being chased down by my own teammates and I knew she was going to shoot. But I was prepared. I crouched into position with my eyes on the ball and waited for it to come to me. Moments later, it did. And you know what? I stood there frozen and let the ball go directly past me. Now I know I'm not always the best goalie, and I don't want to sound like I'm hung up on this or anything, but I relive this moment more often than I would like to. In that moment, instead of focusing on my instincts and basic motor skills, I was caught in my head thinking about the consequences of winning or losing. I spent so much time being afraid of the possibility of something bad happening that I wasn't in the right mindset when it actually happened. Although I know I can't change the past, I would have played better if I had been able to trust myself and rely on what I already knew. Over the course of my soccer career, I've noticed that I only truly play well when I have faith in future me. Because future me knows what she's doing. Yes, I know this sounds like the mindset of us when we were in middle school and thought seniors had their lives together, which, by the way, middle schoolers, is absolutely incorrect. But this is different. Having faith in yourself is akin to self-love. In order to trust yourself, you need to open yourself up to the idea that you can make good choices. Whether it's something small, like deciding what to have for breakfast, or something bigger, like choosing a job after college. But sometimes, the best thing to do is wait and let future you deal with the problem. I remember in middle school and in my early years of high school, most of my friends already knew what they were passionate about. When asked what their dream jobs were, they would gladly share their plans for the future. I, on the other hand, had spent my whole life jumping from interest to interest with no real direction. 
It wasn't until I entered high school that I noticed my future was coming at me faster than I had realized. It suddenly hit me that one day I would actually have to go out and live my adult life, complete with a job and a reasonable income. I began to worry about whether I would ever find anything I was passionate about and was genuinely interested in. For several years, I was at a loss. I couldn't help but begin to compare myself to my older brother, who at a young age already knew what he wanted to do and excelled at it. I remember a conversation I had with my dad when I was a sophomore, in which he asked me if I knew what I wanted to study in college. It got me thinking that I wasn't really passionate about anything. None of the subjects I had taken in school up until that point sparked any intense interest in me, and I wasn't invested in any of my hobbies enough to make a career out of them. I suddenly started having visions of never finding a passion in life and majoring in something I didn't like and ruining my life all because I didn't Google career options my sophomore year in high school. To put it simply, I felt like a loser for wasting my time not seeking something I loved. After this talk with my dad, I moped around for a while until I tried to distract myself by watching Netflix. Over the next couple of hours, I gave myself a chance to think it over, and I decided it wasn't my time to worry yet. I remembered that I was only a sophomore. Sure, it's great to know how you want your life to look, but if you don't know, you shouldn't have to rush to find the answer. So I decided that instead of being afraid, I would trust my future self to find something I loved to study. I trusted that one day soon, I would come across a subject that piqued my interest. This, in fact, did happen when I took Mr. Friedrich's honors biology class in my junior year of high school. Now, I may not radiate the personality of someone who loves biology, but I definitely love it enough to put it in my chapel talk. In this class, I felt for the first time what it's like to be confident in what I want to pursue in my life and I know several of my peers have felt a similar impact from his course. Because I trusted myself, I didn't have to go looking for this feeling because I knew it would come to me with time. That period of not knowing was stressful and scary, but now that I'm past it, I can look back and know that the stress I felt led me to where I am now, and I wouldn't change that. The kind of trust you need to put in yourself is a blind trust. You need to know that all the efforts you put in and struggles you go through will ultimately lead you to your best future, whether you can see that now or not. I've had to learn this throughout my life, and it wasn't easy. Being mentally exhausted and stressed out about things isn't a good feeling, but I've found that it always passes. It may take days, or months, or even years, but it's important to trust your future self and tell yourself that you can overcome, even if you may not believe it. I can't stand up here and say, just trust yourself, it's that simple, because it's not, and we all know that. In the, in the ideal world, every human being would have complete confidence in themselves and step into the future with certainty. Because we don't live in that world, all we can do is try. We can try to lighten the load of stress we put on ourselves every day by sitting back every so often and practicing the act of trusting ourselves. We can practice the act of self-love.
It's a learned skill. As it stands, the majority of people in this room struggle with this. Even I still struggle with this, but just start small. Trust yourself to perform well in a sports game. Trust yourself to make it through the next day, week, and month. Give yourself some credit. It might all work out in the end. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www.tmi-sa.org.